Hello, everybody, and welcome to Friday Lives, our weekly conversation with content creators from different backgrounds about everything live streaming. As you have probably guessed by our little preview that we have a very special episode today, and we are going to be talking about some very important questions and very important issues that are relevant to the whole world community. My name is Anya. I'm your host here at Restream Austin, Texas, and this show is powered by Restream Studio. If you're looking to start professional live streams, and live shows up as easy as a quick international com as a conference call you can check us out at restream.io slash studio my guests today are a social media manager and also the multimedia director from who this is the world face or a world health organization that is right now of course very busy during during the pandemic we are going to talk about their mission and their very important message that they have to deliver to the global communities using social media using live video and other means of communication my guest today is chris black and alexandra Guzmanovich, guys, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you so Thank much you for being Awesome. It's great to have you here. As I mentioned, Alexandra is uh, leading social media uh, at WHO and Chris is working as a multimedia producer at WHO. And we are going to ask you guys all kinds of questions about how you handle how you handle those very important messages to the global community in the middle of global health crisis and pandemic. We do encourage our community to also ask questions if you can. If you have any questions for Alex, Chris or myself, please uh, drop them in the chat. And to get started, you guys are welcome to send us questions. First of all, just let us know where in the world are you watching us from. Feel free to let us know if you which country, which uh, city you're in, and if you have any any questions to to the team here, please bring them in. We'll be answering them as we go. So I guess we'll start with you, Alex. Can you just describe us describe a little bit how how your work as a social media manager and as a social media uh, person changed since the pandemic uh, hit and what was drastically different in, in terms of what you were doing for WHO. Thank you, Anya, and thank you for having us and giving us the opportunity to share what we do in the World Health Organization to communicate about the work uh, we do with general public to social media. So the pandemic has changed our lives at work and privately. Definitely the load of work and information flowing every day is way higher. However, the responsibility for us remains the same. It's always about people's health and people's lives. So every time I press the button to post something on social media, it's a health advice. So the responsibility we had before and now I would say is is the same, but the attention to health and to this virus and how to protect ourselves and what's happening in the world is definitely way higher than what we've been seeing before this pandemic on other health issues. What I've learned in past years and through collaboration with social media platforms is that health is of high interest as a subject, but definitely that interest has been way higher this year. Yeah, and I can imagine why. So the question for Chris, Chris, as a multimedia manager uh, and producer, how did your life change uh, since the pandemic started, of course, in the context of WHO? And how did the live video presence look for WHO before uh, the pandemic and after? Interesting question. It seems like forever ago, but it was only about uh, 10 months now since we really started doing a lot more live events. We've done at this point, I think, 
if you count today's press conference, about 115 press conferences. We've done, I would think, between 60 and 75 other live social media shows like we're doing tonight with you. And so before, way back in January, February, we actually used to run basically an encoder, a laptop encoding a video signal per stream. If we wanted it to stream to Facebook, to YouTube and to Periscope and Twitter, we needed three laptops. So at our press conferences, I would have this little wall of laptops in front of me. And each one of those was uh, was encoding a, a sig- the same signal from our cameras. Yeah, we were doing at that point uh, multi-camera setups for the press conferences. And then we just cross our fingers and hope for the best. So when we wanted to add more channels, we either had to buy more laptops or actually we just uh, at one point just stopped streaming. In fact, we didn't actually stream the first press conferences to YouTube because I didn't have enough encoding power. We were also going to workplace at, this, at that time. When we started using Restream, it really changed our life in terms of the re- that we could get to different channels and in terms of the reliability of the signal that we get and in terms of consolidating the the views at the time we would could see how many people we were watching live when we were doing our face our social media lives we were getting the questions in the chat it's no exaggeration that switching over to using restream really changed the way we approach our live events 100%. Thank you so very much for saying that. I really appreciate it. That's that's really good to hear. Yeah, in terms of, I, I guess that's going to be another question for Chris right away. In terms of running your live events and such, such as live Q&A sessions that you guys have, when the whole world is working from home, there's social distancing, what kind of challenges do you experience with, with that, aside from that issue that you had multiple laptops in order to be present on multiple platforms? What other challenges are there because of that social distancing? and working from home situation? That's a good question, Anya. So for the first, for the social media lives that we do, we basically have done a bit of both. We have colleagues that are in the in the office still, that we're essential staff. So we're lucky enough to, I don't know if you've seen our social media lives with Dr. Mike Ryan and Dr. Maria Van Kirkhove. We've yeah. been doing these weekly now. So they're in the building, so that's not too hard to bring them together. It's a challenge uh, to film it sometimes because people need to be two meters apart uh, each. We need to choose a room that's large and well-ventilated. So it's certainly a challenge visually, but they're physically together. So those we're doing often two or three camera setups where we're either mixing live on the lap, one laptop mixing the video signal, or we're mixing the video signal in our studio and then sending that out to Restream. And we've also started using Restream Restream Studio. Uh, we weren't didn't use that at the beginning, I'll be honest with you, just because we were just so in the production mode and live and we didn't at that point at the very beginning, we had more people, colleagues in the office. So when colleagues started to work from home and we started to bring in colleagues from around the world, that's where we really started to use Restream Studio a bit more. So we've done that quite a bit. And also sometimes when we weren't in the office, so I was producing from home, I've produced from a little bit everywhere and using Restream Studio, that's one big advantage to that. And that's worked out really greatly. So sometimes we'll combine a host in the office and an expert who's not in the office, and then we'll put use Restream to, to get that out to our social media channels. That is awesome. Yeah, great, great to know that you use the combination of just multi-streaming piece and the studio itself. I uh, just to acknowledge a couple of community members here. Danny saying, I'm from Rock- Rockford, Illinois, USA. Hi and welcome. welcome and there Brent. is Danilo saying hello from Brazil, which, which this is the beauty of studio, right? Like you can make it so interactive. You can include everyone in the conversation. And right away, Charles from Facebook is asking, how many people work at the WHO today? 
Do you guys know? I work physically in the building or work for the organization? I think for the organization would probably be the most uh, appropriate. Alex, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think around the world, in, the, in headquarters, we're normally about 2,000, a little bit over 2,000. Around the world, it's another eight. Is that correct? 8,000 colleagues around the world wow. in six, region, six regional offices. Awesome. Yeah, that's a big organization for sure. So question for you, Alex, speaking of how many people work there, of course, the community of WHO, the social media community is even bigger than that. It's a huge, it's, it's a huge network of people who are following you, who rely on you for information, content, guidance and advice. When you create content, do, do you consider those international communities to create anything special in different languages? How do you come together, bring together all those international followers and people in your organization? In the Thank community. you, Anya. This is a great question. And this is definitely a challenge when we are in the pandemic and when we want to deliver information to as many people as possible in different markets, in different languages. UN has and WHO, therefore, six official languages, English, French, Spanish, Russian, Chinese, and Arabic. So quite often we try to, to produce content in all of these languages, especially now during pandemic, quite often in Portuguese or Hindi. These are big communities as well. Normally from our HQ channels, we are posting only in, in, in English, but regional offices are posting in regional languages and some country offices are post, posting in the language of the country. We're also working with partners and the social media platforms during this pandemic have helped us a lot in translating our materials quickly in non-official UN languages as well so that we can reach people with good information. And digital technologies are enabling us to provide people with public health advice super quickly. But then there is that challenge of delivering it to different markets in local languages. And we know as well that for many people, receiving information in their own language is way easier to understand and also to apply the advice into their behavior. Awesome. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What kind of content does the best on social media? I guess that's, that one is for you, Alex, again, in terms of the type of content, what performs the best? Norm, uh, we are a scientific organization and uh, our experts and colleagues who are great and we are learning People in organization, Chris and I, are learning from them a lot every day, and we cover so many different subjects besides COVID. Even just in COVID, there are numerous experts who are working on it. But quite often, uh, the content that we produce is not for general public. It's more for it's it's for ministers of health, ministers of health. It's for medical doctors, medical personnel, public health experts. So it's not always easy, I would say, to translate this technical or scientific content for general public. So. That's what we do. We bridge, we bridge this and we are the bridge in between the, the technical knowledge and what general public needs to know. So the best performing content is a tips. I would say these are uh, outside of COVID, for example, is five things to know about how to prevent cancer, or these are the symptoms of this health condition. We also seen that in, in COVID, the information of, of simple steps, how people can protect themselves or how to use masks properly or how to do hand hygiene properly. This is type of content that's performing the best. However, as I said, it's not always easy just to put it in one infographic or in, in one short post. That's why these Q&As with experts, live Q&As that we do are very important for us to explain the whole context, to explain to, to our followers and to public 
why they need to follow certain advice and in a proper way. We've been doing this live Q&As before, Chris has mentioned before COVID, but now definitely demand is way higher and using Restream has helped us to deliver to that demand as at scale to different markets, to different uh, audiences simultaneously. That is awesome. Yeah, that's really good to hear. On that note, Charles is asking how often uh, will the WHO live stream content? I guess I would add on to that. How often do you stream right now? And, and what's your projection for the future? How often do you have those live segments going on? Chris, do you want me to go? Sure, you- I can go. During the pandemic in these days, we're doing a lot of live, obviously. So whether we'll keep that up, I don't know. But currently we're doing two press conferences a week. Those are about an hour long. And we're doing at least one other social media live. So that's a live that goes to all our platforms. Alex uh, also does a lot of shorter lives to Twitter and to Periscope, for example, when Dr. Tedros, our director general, is making a speech, she'll pick that up and, and put that out on just on Twitter and Periscope. I don't know. I, I would say, I don't know, Alex, if you agree with me or not, but it's it seems like almost every day we're live somewhere, I would say. I think, would you agree with that? I would. And uh, I don't think it's going to get slower anytime soon. I no. think the demands are just growing and uh, pandemic is giving that high interest in health. But I think the internally as well, then the hunger to communicate more using digital platforms. I think we are learning all how to to live in this new world. So I think the demand for us to use more digital platforms to communicate about our work and to share health information will just grow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I also do not see that stopping with the pandemic because your very important mission of bringing health to people all over the world is not going anywhere, pandemic or not, there's always something to talk about. Speaking about live Q&A sessions that you have, I did see a couple of of the latest ones and I I, I thought that that was really an interesting way to engage your community. So I was curious, how how much effort does it take to run those? How many people are involved? How do you decide on the topics? And also how interactive are those Q&As? Do you allow the community to send questions in the chat and, and basically call them out and respond to the questions and concerns from the audience directly while the experts are live. Chris, do you want to start? Yeah, because it's a giant team. So I'll talk about the audiovisual side and maybe Alex can talk about the social side because it really is a team effort. So on the audiovisual side, we would have, if we're doing, let's say the the show on Wednesdays with Dr. Mike and Dr. Maria, there we're currently doing a two camera setup with one camera person. We have another person who's switching video uh, and then I'm probably doing audio. So that's behind the scenes. There's three that right there. Uh, and then over to Alex for the rest of the team. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. So before we, we go live, we do prepare the, we always, the concept is we, we have an expert on particular subject. So we prepare a few questions to start a conversation before we receive questions from the audience. And also we want to receive questions on that subject, not overall, because the expert may not be able to answer any, any any question. So it takes some preparation before the session. Okay, what is the subject you want to talk? What's happening in the news? Is this relevant now? Or sometimes we need to run them ad hoc because there is something happening, a hot issue in the news, how we call it. And we want to clarify some information or to give the advice quickly. So we run them as soon as possible, but definitely take some time preparation for the content before. And as well, depends on the experts. Some of the experts as well prefer to do some preparations with us and, and exercises before we go live. 
then during the live, as we now normally on average, we go on four platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Periscope slash Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube. We recently introduced Twitch. Sometimes we do it in TikTok as well. So we have then the full social media team monitoring the questions for each platform. Restream is providing us with a great feature that we can see all, all comments coming together. But sometimes the load, I actually quite often the load of all these questions is too many and fast so that colleagues are monitoring directly on platforms so we know as well where the question is coming from so definitely you asked on engagement that these products are uh, quite engaging sometimes we can't take all the questions it's just we don't have time to take them all but we are doing our best to curate them real time and to provide answers so yeah i can see that so that would be 10 people do you think alex behind the scenes yeah. right behind yeah. you got the people in front 12 total that's a lot of people. Yeah. And I can totally see how when you have a very busy chat and like the, the message is just running, you basically have to have somebody to jump into the chat on the end platform and help out because if it's busy, it's really difficult to manage it. Yeah. 12 people. Wow. That's a big team running those sessions. Chris, would you like to describe your setup in terms of hardware and software? What kind of, what are the essentials of, of live stream for, for WHO today? I get it. it depends what we're doing. So often uh, we have broadcast quality cameras and we're, it depends. so it's a little bit of everything. So for the press conference, it's broadcast quality cameras with the TV studio doing the, doing the vision mixing, the audio is coming from the room. So it's a room sound. It's quite a big setup because we're also feeding as well as social media. We're also feeding broadcast uh, media outlets through a, for the fiber optic link. We have the European Broadcasting Union. We're feeding the other press agencies on another link that we have. So we're the, vis the, the video signal is going out to a lot of sources. The smaller Facebook lives that we do with Mike, Dr. Mike and Dr. Maria or shows like that, that's a smaller camera setup. Either we're, again, running the signal back to this TV studio and mixing it there, or we're mixing it on a laptop just simply with Wirecast or something like that. And just a simple cutting back and forth between cameras and taking it that way. And then, of course, we've also done it on a Restream Studio, so using nothing but nothing but laptops just to, to do the, the video signal. Actually, though, sometimes I'll feed a video a professional camera into the, to the Restream Studio because you can change the audio and video settings on that, which is great. Which is, uh, I have to say, one thing I've noticed, Anya, since, the pen, since we started using Restream, so February, March, is how much innovation you've done in Restream Studio. So when it started out, it was relatively simple. And then as we got going, there's more options on the video overlays, and the, then there's more options on video playout, and then there's all sorts of things you can do behind the scenes in terms of your audio and video sources. So it's really been great to see the see this product evolve over the last six, six months. I think you've made some great improvements, and it's really a usable platform now. Thank you so much for saying that is really great to hear. Yeah, we do try to think about ourselves as innovators and we are constantly connecting with our community, trying to get uh, to understand what are the needs, what are the pain points and hopefully cater to them. But yeah, that means a lot to me. Thank you for saying that. For those who's just joining us, let me reintroduce you real quick. Our conversation today is with WHO, it's the World Health Organization. And we have Alexandra Kuzmanovich here and Chris Black. Alexandra is WHO's social media manager and Chris is multimedia producer at WHO. We're talking about how non-for-profit international global organizations could use live streaming and social media in order to deliver their very important messages to their communities. I have a kind of controversial question for, for Alex. I think it's an interesting question than, more than controversial. So I'm really um, keen to know what's your opinion. So with social media these days and with pandemic and with kind of what's going on in the world in general, uh, there are all kinds of opinions and information like floating in the internet and on social media. For you guys, it's very important to deliver factual, accurate information to 
the communities because there's a lot at stake, right? There's people's health, mm -hmm. people's lives. How do you, if you do, what is your opinion? What is your strategy to combat misinformation or maybe just not accurate, not qualified opinions about the pandemic, about the virus or about any other health issues in general on social media? Thank you, Anya. This is a great question and it is a big challenge that, that we are facing as an organization, as a global community. So the solution is not only with us, but we are doing our best. And the first thing that we are trying to do is to ensure that people are having access to reliable information. And the way we do this is that we collaborate with social media platforms, digital platforms, and then including Restream, which is another tool that uh, allows us to communicate in the true audiovisual content, live streaming with viewers on different subjects, and also giving them opportunity to ask questions that are uh, sometimes on different uh, opinions or conspiracy theories, and then our experts can answer following the science. So that's where the big part of my work goes in these collaborations with Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Snapchat, Pinterest, and some new platforms. The same with our colleagues in regional office or country offices and on some other smaller platforms that are just present in particular parts of the world. So we've worked with them on different products too. And first, when people search for information about COVID-19, they are directed either to WHO or to National Health Resource, National Health Authority. And this is great because the National Health Authority provides information in a local language. This is something that WHO has no capacity to deliver all around the world. Then many of them created additional banners. When you just enter the platform, they again direct you to reliable source. Then they created either news hubs or dedicated COVID-19 pages where they are featuring WHO and National Health Authority's content, updates on a number of cases, latest news, latest public health advice. But also what we did at the beginning of this pandemic, we started a new product called Meatbusters. So when we see that some rumor or misinformation is spreading, on social media, in the news. We work with our technical colleagues to actually provide science-based explanation that we push on our channels. And this has been widely used by partners and other organizations, which is great because they also translated it in different languages, using different channels to reach people with what is the evidence-based information to bust those needs, basically. So these are different ways how we are working with different partners and as organization to address misinformation. Yeah, that's great. That's great. You guys have a, a solid strategy right there. Chris, did you want to add something to that? Nope, that says it all. And I would like to remind everyone who is watching or uh, re-watching, replaying, listening to our podcast uh, to make sure that if you are looking for accurate and reliable information about health situation, global crisis and pandemic, you should check out who.int uh, or facebook.com slash who. You can also connect with the content that Alex and Chris are creating on those on the official website as well as on their social media channels. Do not trust rumors. Check your facts and get your information from reliable sources. That's that's definitely the best way to, to go. Chris, would you like to talk a little bit about the very special event that you guys organized in spring, the WHO sponsored and powered international concert, the One World at Home, where you were able to 
unite the whole world and galvanize this amazing energy powered by those celebrities and performers and amazingly talented singers and songwriters to support the essential workers, to support people on the front line combating the pandemic. Back in the days when it was very uncertain and very, there were so many unknowns and so many variables people didn't know enough about the virus and, and how the pandemic would spread and continue changing the life of people in the world. Would you like to tell us a little bit about how this idea came to you and ever, basically how did that start um, as a concept and then how did you guys execute uh, on such a massive effort? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Uh, it really was a spectacular event on April 18th. One World Together at Home was uh, was an event that was co-hosted actually by the WHO and an NGO called Global Citizen, who you, uh, people might have seen. They often do big concerts and big events at, at, at important world events. You see them there very often. So it was a collaboration with them, with their CEO and a colleague on our team called Paul Garwood, who, who really pulled that together and spread the word. And then we had a lot of help from someone everyone knows, Lady Gaga, who, who helped host it, who helped uh, choose the artists that were involved, who helped promote it. She joined a few press conferences leading up to the event. That was a really big help. Over that, on the event, which was, I think it was about eight hours of live interventions and music and comedy. And it was really a bit of, a bit, a bit of everything. And then there was a, another version which was shown on broadcast TV. So we had 72 artists, Elton John, Billy Eilish, Taylor Swift, Jennifer Lopez, Sam Smith, the Rolling Stones. Who else was there? Michelle Obama, the Secretary General of the UN. And of course, Dr. Tedros, our Director General, who opened it and closed it. So it really was a spectacular event that raised 120 27 million dollars winning a Guinness world record actually for the most amount of money raised in an event uh, and a lot of that money went to the COVID-19 solidarity response fund which is a, a fund that we work with the UN foundation on uh, and then some other foundations as well it really was a spectacular event and, uh, and that's something we haven't talked about yet is I forgot another way that we use restream is actually we took the feed from from Global Citizen for that because they were also broadcasting on their their platforms. So we took the feed into our restream and then put it out on our on all our channels. So that's something that I use quite often is the the RTMP streaming options that Restream has. So I'll take a feed from from something like Zoom example. I'll, I'll take a I'll output from Zoom into Restream and then from Restream to our social media channels. So sometimes you don't even need a, a broadcast studio or broadcast cameras. You can use you can use Zoom to bring people together and then feed out that way. So that's something that's really handy, taking that from anything that can generate an RTMP signal. You were asking about other events such as the Together at Home. I've actually done two other ones where we used Restream to help broadcast those. We did an event in May called the Walk the Talk, which was, a, I think, a three-hour show that we put out as live with, again, music, and it had, had sporting events, and it was really on the theme of physical exercise and mental health. And then again on mental health, just recently we had a fantastic fantastic thing called the big event for mental health which was hosted by Femi OK and that we put that out on again it was a event that we put together and played it out live using restream and it had a probably the the peak of the show was a special performance by the Korean K-pop band Super M so that came in the middle of the show and that had lots and lots of views and lots and lots of great feedback so looking at mental health the issue of mental health around the world so part of it was focused on covid and people people uh, working on the mental health issues during the covid times but more importantly it was just on on mental health 
health and how people can can improve their mental health and how much we need to stay together during these times and listen to people and talk to people and be there for each other in these crazy days. Yeah, this is amazing how music and art and people with as influence opinion leaders could help deliver your important message and also combine it with great entertainment experience. I remember watching the One World concert and thinking, wow, this is amazing. Like how all those people genuinely could have showed up, right? Invited the community into their homes, shared um, something intimate with them. I remember watching, of course, Paul McCartney is a big hero of mine, <laughs> sharing like his personal story about his mother being a nurse. And it was just so inspiring that even in the darkest moment of that pandemic, when there were, like I said earlier, so many unknowns, it, it felt like we are united, we are together. And, and even those kind of unreachable celebrity people are actually here and, and they showed up for, for the world, for the community and for, for the first responders. It was very inspiring. A couple of questions from the community. I, I think it's an interesting one from Mark here and Alex, apologies for, for blocking you. Let me actually swap. <laughs> swap you guys real quick here. What workflows have you been forced to change to cope with the pandemic that you will actually stick with after this is all hopefully over? I like the hopefully there, Mark, but do hope that this is going to be over at some point. Any specific examples for both of you, Alex or Chris? So good things on my side our our social media team was only two members when this pandemic started we got additional four colleagues and that's one thing that i hope that we will remain expanded and i guess the same for chris team and definitely the tool we got to use and to learn how to use restream we'll definitely continue using it in future so i i think this these are the two things that i would i would I'm hoping to keep. Yeah. It's nice to hear from Mark, actually. Mark is a very talented video producer. So thank you, Mark, for your questions. Nice to hear from you. I don't know. I would say what if we're, we're dropping lots of product names. Another one that we could drop maybe is Live View. We've used actually one of the little Live View units to go to live to restream. So something like that where we can just go live quickly and on the go and from using whatever technology at hand. I think that's something that will really continue. That's something we didn't do a lot of before. So that's something that we'll do more in the future. And I think this, the way that you can just harness all these platforms together is really amazing for me, that you're not live on one platform, you're live on five, six, how many, many you want to broadcast on. That's just incredible. And that really has just extended our reach so much. And just like Alex was talking about before, different audiences. For example, when we're live on LinkedIn, we've, we find we get different questions that are, and we're getting live on Facebook. So that way we can do one event and we can receive questions from people from all over the world on such many different topics. It's really inspiring and it's such an opportunity. Do you remember when we were doing it back to back? So we do it, we do it for Facebook and Twitter, then we do it for LinkedIn, and then we would do it for Instagram. And actually, when we introduced TikTok Live was thanks to Restream as well, because we managed to get TikTok on the platform. So you definitely saved our lives and our time because I think it would be impossible with a load of work in this pandemic for us to do back-to-back -back lives, the experts don't have that much time to sit the whole day and answer questions. So this was the best possible way for us to do it. And one thing as well, I see that some questions are coming re regarding Instagram. For example, the Wednesday live that we do with Mike, uh, Dr. Mike Ryan and Maria Van Kerkhove, Dr. Maria Van Kerkhove on Wednesday, uh, we don't go live on, on Instagram as it's not possible to do it on Truri Stream, but we download the file Truri Stream and then we upload it as IGTV. 
So um, it's still a useful platform because all our uh, streams are saved on the cloud that we can uh, take them and repurpose for other platforms. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's another question from uh, Charles here. How does WHO support multiple languages and multiple time zones? I know you touched a little bit on how multiple languages are par partially supported by local WHO's organizations and the official United Nations languages being part of that. What about time zones? That's actually a very interesting question, considering the community is global and everyone wants to hear the experts and their opinion and potentially be part of the conversation, ask their question. How do you guys handle that? We actually do events. We've tried doing events at different times of the day to focus on different uh, audiences. We'll do them in the morning out of Geneva or in the late afternoon out of Geneva to hit different time zones. And we try to do them so that we're crossing over as many time zones as we can. Uh, that's one way to do that, just to mix it up a little bit. Uh, and then actually on the multiple languages, like Alex mentioned, we've done a few, not as many as we would have liked in individual languages. We've done a few in French and a few in Spanish. Our press conferences are actually interpreted into eight languages right now. But those, we because we can't feed uh, the different social media platforms, the different language feeds. If you want to listen to one of our press conferences, you need to go to the WHO website, which is www.who.int. And there you can find uh, a player that lets you choose which languages you can listen to. So it's like Alex said, English, French, Spanish, Arabic, Russian, and Chinese. And then we're also doing Portuguese and Hindi. And then the journalists that are on the press conference can ask questions in all of those languages, except for Hindi. The Hindi is only one way. The other thing I don't know if you've noticed that we do on the press conferences is we have a live caption service. So we have a, a human who's behind that, who's typing away on one of these court kind of transcribers that they use for live captioning. She's The team for that is based in the UK. And then we're incorporating the feed that we get from them at the point before we go to Restream. We merge our, the video signal from the studio with an overlay of this text from the captioner. And that's what we put out to social media with the English language feed from the press conference. Awesome. Yeah, I think that answers the question. Thank you, Charles, for asking so many great questions question, today. Yeah, yeah. So uh, a couple more questions for Alex in terms of social media content. Um, I think a promotion, basically, because I think some of non-for-profit organizations that are smaller than uh, the WHO would like to see how you guys do that and potentially uh, try to follow your lead. When it comes to promoting your your live video content, those Q&A sessions, press conferences, and, and other live events, how do you guys approach it? What what are your promotional strategies uh, for, for content on social media today? So for press conferences, our media team colleagues are sending always a media advisory to our media list for every press conference that we are organizing. So it's the same for these two now that we have per week on, on COVID-19. We also, at some point, I think earlier in the outbreak, we were promoting that we are having a weekly conference pressers. We start with everyday pressers, then we reduce to three times and then we reduce to two times a week. So it's now most of the time it's Mondays and Fridays, 5 p.m. But for example, today we had it 11 a.m. Geneva time. So this is mostly communicated to media and also on our Twitter channel. If the time has changed, we, we would also tweet about it. For other lives, we are we normally we didn't have a practice of promoting it. One reason is because we were advised by social media platforms that the algorithm actually prefers if it's not promoted and you just go live. Also, your followers receive notification when you go live. So it, it, it gets more attention by the algorithm organically once you, once you go live. So that's one reason. But also, as 
we we have numerous experts, but they are all having tiny teams and, and covering so many things. Their schedules are also tight. So we do schedule a live to go at, let's say, 5 p.m., but sometimes we are running a bit late or sometimes something happens, emergency happens, and we need to postpone. So our strategy has been not really to promote these in advance, to not to raise expectation in case something happens and we can't deliver. Currently, with those weekly lives that we are running with Dr. Mike and Dr. Maria, we are also informing media about them. And depending on the subject, sometimes we are asking people to share their stories in advance. So that's the way as well to promote the, the, the live content and also to encourage engagement and participation in a different way, not just asking questions, but also sharing stories. Because as you said, we are all in this together. And we also, depending on the subject that we are talking about, we want to give the opportunity to our viewers to, to share as well what they have done and how they have supported someone or how they are coping during this time. Awesome. Awesome. This is really, this is very inspiring. And we'd also encourage our community, if you guys want to share any kind of pandemic related stories in the comments to this videos, please go ahead and do that. We would love to hear them and hopefully maybe share our advice, our thoughts on that. Do you repurpose your content? Whatever you stream live, do you then take that, that content and, and do something, something else with that? podcast, short video clips or social media, anything of that sort? We do. As I said, one, one thing that we definitely do with these weekly lives is that we take them from Restream and then if needed, we adapt a little bit so that we can fit it into IGTV format. That's one thing that we regularly do. Depending on the subject, depending on the questions as well, we receive the latest fun, funny one was, I think in two weeks ago, we, we had a question about Halloween and how to celebrate Halloween safely during COVID. So we, a colleague, Marta on Chris team, uh, she helped us to cut that clip and to edit it in a, in a Halloween style and the layout. And then another colleague, Yanavit, created some extra materials based on the content that we received, that we had from the live. And we share this advice, this information and advice prior to the event. Sometimes there are some other issues or our expert explain how advice should be taken or how the science work, etc. So depends. It's not necessarily that every time we cut everything into clips, but quite often we do. And I think Halloween was a great example as well that gave us some creativity. Awesome. Do you guys plan to do something similar for upcoming holidays? Because in the US, we're um, expecting quite a lot of questions about how to celebrate Thanksgiving. And of course, all over the world, people are asking about Christmas celebrations, traditionally family holidays, family gatherings are expected and, and very much craved by, by people isolating for almost but for the good part of 2020. Do you plan to give any kind of fun social, social media catered guidelines for people who can't wait to to celebrate the holidays, but also want to do it safely? Definitely, definitely. Even before COVID, prior to Christmas holidays, we would do a series of lives on healthy diet because we know that everyone likes to eat sweets and uh, tasty food, which is not necessarily always healthy and we want to enjoy holidays, but then we advise people to do more physical activity. So we would do a series of lives on health, uh, healthy diet, on physical activity, on road safety, especially as during celebrations, people may drink alcohol and 
what we are trying to advocate not to drink and drive, to be safe, especially if it's cold weather, icy, etc. We are thinking on different situations and the content that you're already having, then in particular to repurpose it during holidays. And definitely we'll do something this year in the context of pandemic. But it will depend on, on the epidemiological situation as well, how the advice will be communicated. And we will pay close attention to that and uh, make sure we check those advice um, and ideas out. I think to wrap this up, one of my last questions will be for Chris, for organizations of smaller size and scale who are also thinking that leveraging live streaming and video content is something that they and their communities could benefit for from what would be your advice in terms of where to get started like how to begin regular live streams for your good cause non-for-profit organization when you might not necessarily have a lot of budget or a lot of a lot of resources in terms of manpower what, what would be your recommendation considering your experience i think you something like live stream studio is a great example of what you can do without a lot of without a lot of budget so really i don't know if budgets are the, what's going to hold people back now it's really having the idea having the concept having the interesting content and doing things regularly i think that's key so that's something that working with alex we really focused on in terms of making engaging content and making impactful content and trying to communicate clearly public health information and it's really that's been i think what's really key so i i I wouldn't, I don't think budgets is much of an issue because you can have a few laptops and you're good to go or a GoPro plugged into your laptop. If you want, you try that, or there's lots of different ways you can do it without having a TV studio behind you. So, they, so it's really content is key more than the equipment. I agree. I agree. And it is, it's a challenging and daunting task to start doing this, to go live, to find experts. But I agree that the number one focus is on the message. What is that you want to deliver? What is that you want to communicate to your community? And I always recommend people to not get stuck on, oh, I don't have a great camera. I don't have the best lights. My microphone is not the most amazing. I don't even have a space for the studio. You can start small and upgrade step-by-step step if you have traction. And you will if you have great content, just like you guys have on your social media channels. I greatly appreciate you guys coming in today. This was such a great conversation. Alex, did you want to add something? I just wanted to add creative content and also know who's your audience, because I think that's the key lesson for us. Who are our followers? And then what is the message that's suitable for them and how we creatively package it then for them to consume is better. That's, that would be my addition to this question. Awesome. No, that makes a lot of sense. So my guests today were Alexander Kuzich and Chris Black. They are WHO's social media manager and multimedia producer at World Health Organization. Our conversation today that you can actually catch up later on our podcast or uh, on the replay on all our social media channels, specifically YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter, was about WHO, how they uh, do their live streaming, how they do their live video series, um, Q&A sessions, and what is their social media strategy in general during the time of global health crisis. Alex and Chris, thank you so very much for being with us today. It was such a pleasure. Thanks. Thank you so much for having us.
Thank you very much for our great community. Thank you for showing up today, for asking your great questions, for giving us your thumbs up. Please make sure that if you have any questions uh, or any further comments uh, to this to this segment, to this episode, feel free to add them in comments because we do come back and review uh, your comments and, and uh, questions, even if you were not able to catch this video live. We welcome you to come back and to share your thoughts and ideas. We'll be reacting and interacting with them in the future. This is our show for today. We appreciate every each and every one of you. We wish you healthy uh, and safe holidays to those who won't see us next week. Have a wonderful weekend. Have a wonderful rest of your Friday. And I will see you next Friday for our upcoming episode. Thank you.